Yep. Yeah, that's why I asked. But... All right. Good evening. We're ready to get started. Today we are learning Masechas Bava Kama Daf <clears throat> Samach Beis, and we're starting about a quarter of the way down. First words on the line are uh, are um, not first words on the line. The second word on the line is Amar Rava. Um, and then today we're going to be going uh, finishing the parak. As you can see, we're starting Parak Meruba, uh, which is known to be a difficult parak, but we're gonna we're gonna make it, and we're gonna do uh, we're gonna do it well. And today we're going to stop about 10 lines from the bottom of the page on Samach Beis and Beis. And then tomorrow is tomorrow Thursday. Yes. So then tomorrow uh, we have a lot of work to do, but we'll do as much as we can. Okay, here we go. Says the Gemara, If a man gives a dinar zahab, a golden coin, and he gives it to a woman, um, or that's what he gave her. But then listen to what he said to her. He mistakenly told her that it was a less precious metal. So that's a, a, a miscommunication. Um, by the way, in general, if you're going to lie about the jewelry that you gave your spouse, you should lie up and not lie down. But you should just make sure you're not lying either way. But this guy made a mistake. He, he just said the wrong thing. He gave her gold and he said silver. So now we can already imagine what is going to be her responsibility if she makes a mistake with it, if she damages it. So there are levels of damage. If she is hezi kaso, if she damages it with her own hand, she takes a hammer and just bashes it and destroys it, then mishalemes dinar zahav. She has to pay back a dinar zahav even though she only destroyed kesef. I'm sorry. She has to be mishalemes dinar zahav because she destroyed uh, dinar zahav. Mishum de Amar La, he could say to her, My hava lich gabe de say, What are you doing? You're being violent. You're just breaking stuff. Like, why are you doing that? So you have to pay me back for what happened. Not Dafka woman. Just this was the case. This is just the case, was just this way. It doesn't matter. This was about the miscommunication of materials that he gave gold and said silver. However, there is a, a lower level of achrayis. We have hizikaso, which is where she was mamish, like just beating the thing with a hammer. But then there's pashabo. Let's say she was just negligent. She wasn't mazik biadayim, where she was trying to break it with a hammer. She was just irresponsible as it related to her shmira. And she left it outside, whatever. She did something irresponsible. So in regards to pashabo, how much does she have to pay? Says the Gemara, she's only mishalemes shel kesef. She only has to pay back silver. Why? Because in the first case, she was being mazik. <clears throat> in the case where you're being mazik, that case is a question of what you damaged. In the case of Pashabo, it's a question, a question of what level of shmira did you do. And therefore, by Pashabo, the Gemara says, Mishalemes shel kesef, to Amrale, she could say to the husband, I'm only paying you for kesef, Natirusa de kasba kabili alai, because you made a mistake and said kesef, the shmira that I took upon myself was only for kesef. But Natirusa de dava lo kibili alai, but I did not accept upon myself to watch something like gold. There's an implication here that the more precious the item, the more careful you are to watch it. If you have a diamond, you're going to be super careful. If it's CZ, cubic zirconium, you're going to be less careful. And if it's glass, you're going to be even less careful. And that's certainly true. It's mar benachas and mar bedaga. The nicer the car you have, the more you typically worry about it. I was in my previous car. I had my car for like two days, my previous car. Um, and my neighbor across the street is not young. And she backed up into my car and like, we we were sitting on the porch watching it like slow motion, you know? And it was, it's like in your brain, you're like trying to be calm. There's nothing you can do about it. We we navigated it well. Turned out no damage happened, but it, she, you could see my bumper was like lifting up. Okay. So there, in such a case, uh, you know, people who have a, a car that they really, really like, they're, they're much more careful about it. 
So here she said, I only have to pay silver. Why? Because it's a Shmira question. And what was I, what did I think I was being Shomer? I thought I was being Shomer silver. Amar le Rav Mordechai le Ravashi, Atun, you guys, Rava Masnisula. You thought that this was a statement of Rava from the times of the Amoraim. He was a fourth century Amora. So we're talking about the year 200, whatever the case may be. Uh, no, about the year 400 or so. But Anan, we, says Rav Mordechai to Ravashi, Mimasnisin We inferred this from a brisa that we learned yesterday at the top of this page. We had said, Chitin, if somebody was given wheat, but Vechipan Beseorin, and it was covered in barley, or it was really the inside of the pile was barley and the outside of the pile was wheat. You only pay the seorin, and that's similar because Alma, if he thought that he was watching barley, then he thought he was watching barley. That's where the level of Shmira goes. And Hachanami in our case too, she can say, I never intended on watching something gold. You didn't tell me it was gold. If you would have told me it was gold, I would have felt it was more precious. I would have worked harder to take care of it, but I don't. I, I didn't do that. And therefore, um, uh, she'd only be obligated to pay back silver. It's fascinating because the, the actual material was gold and she only had to pay back silver. So he took a loss because he didn't communicate with her properly. The Gemara says halfway down, uh, two lines before the wide lines on Samach Beis Aleph, the Gemara says, Amar Rav, Rav says, Shamis Milsa le Rav Yehuda. Rav the Amora said, I heard something about Rav Yehuda, and I don't know what it is that I heard. Amar Shmuel, that can't be. Shmuel says to Rav, how can it be that you don't know? You don't know. Abba is a term of endearment for Rav. Rav was older than Shmuel. So Shmuel called him often throughout Shas as Abba. So he said to Rav, Abba, how can it be that you don't know what, what Rabbi Huda said? After all, we all know that he says that if I burn your field and inside your field is a gadish, is a pile of grain, and inside the pile of grain is my book, and it was Tamun, it was hidden and it got burnt, Allah has it, you have to pay. So he says it must be that what was the din that Rav heard from Rav Yehuda? Says the Gemara that us who takanas nigzal that we have this principle of takanas nigzal um, in regards to Aish. What in the world is this talking about? So let's take a look at Rashi. Rashi is 12 lines or so from the bottom of the page, maybe 10 lines from the bottom of the page. Says the Gemara, Just like we have a case that the rabbis have allowed where someone is stolen from, I can make a shvua if you steal from me. I can make a shvua as to how much uh, you stole from me, even if I'm not 100% sure. The yitol, and I'm allowed to collect. And then just skip a line uh, toward the end, toward the end of that Rashi. The same thing is true in regards to fire. That the halacha is that, um, that according to what Rav had heard from Rav Yehuda, what he was saying was that you're allowed to collect what was tamun. That's totally fine. You're allowed to collect what was tamun. And um, uh, even though you're not sure what it is, as long as you make a shvua. Boy, Amemar, Amemar says, wait one second, second of the wide lines. Let's say that a person is Moser on me and that I have, um, you know, some kind of contraband relative to the government, it was contraband, and the government comes and takes it away from me. Uh, am I allowed to do takonas anigzal and claim against him? Oh, he, he made them take something away from me. I'm not sure exactly how much it was, but I'll make a shvua that it was worth a thousand dollars. Is that allowed? 
Aliba demanda amar lo dininan dina de garmi lo tibailach de misirus nami lo dininan. According to the Shita that says that we do not adjudicate in cases of garmi, which we'll discuss in a moment, that's definitely not a question because in cases of there uh, of misira, we're not we, we're not adjudicating in those cases. Garmi is similar potentially to machlokas rishonim if garmi is the same as grama. Grama is an indirect act. Garmi is also an indirect type of act, but it's not with your body. It's with something completely indirect. There's a machlokas rishonim if grama and garmi are the same. And here the Gemara is just teaching us a little bit about garmi. And we'll see this, of course, throughout all of the bhavas, these principles of grama and garmi. Years ago, I sat in Yashurin and learned in the mornings. That's where I had my morning seder. And I listened uh, to the Choshen Mishpat Kola learn. This came up regularly throughout the learning, the differences between Grama and Garmi. I never picked up on it in full color. I never sat and learned with them properly, though it does sound very appealing. But nevertheless, uh, that's what Garmi is over here. It's an indirect form of damage. So the question is not according to the sheet of Lodainina Dina de Garmi. Ella, two-thirds of the way down. Kiti Baila Chaliba Demanda Amar Dainina Dina de Garmi. That those say we do adjudicate in cases of Garmi in this indirect damage. Do we say Asutakonas? Um, do we say asutakanas nigzal b'masur dimishtaba v'shakil olo? Do we say if you um, are moser on me and the government takes something uh, something from me, can I make a shavua? Yes or no? The Gemara says take who I don't know. Five lines into the wide lines. You have a box with all of your money in it, and it's sitting on the bank of the river, and I'm a jerk, and I take my uh, soccer kick to your little uh, your little box with all your money in it. And I kick it, and it takes a nice little dive and splashes in the water. Shajib and I threw it into the river. So they went to the master and they said, um, I had $2,146 inside. Do we trust him or do we not trust him? So Yosef Ravashi Ravashi was paskining the Shiloh. Um, what would we say in such a case? Do we allow the person to say how much money he had in his safe that I, his friend, kicked into the into the water? Somebody said to somebody, we're not sure who, isn't that exactly what happened in our Mishnah? Which part of the Mishnah is this talking about? It's not. The Mishnah writes, that the Chachamim, who don't hold that Tamun Be'esh Yisrael, agree to Rabbi Yehuda that Tamun Be'esh Yisrael in the case of burning a house down. Why? That's normal for people to do that. And therefore, if I have money inside a safe, of course it's going to be considered normal. And therefore, I'm allowed to make a shvua and say, hey, you kicked my safe into the water. It had $2,147 in it. You owe me $2,147. Amar Leib. Uh, the the person who was answering the Shaila Ravashi said, well, hold on one second. I agree if you're talking about money, but I'm not exactly sure what's actually kept in this safe or not. But the But if he claims I also have precious jewels in there, I have uh, pearls, whatever, gold, silver, diamonds, can he claim that as well? Now today, it's pretty typical that people who have super expensive jewelry um, would keep it in a safe. That's not abnormal at all. Most people probably don't do that, but it's not it's not considered crazy for to keep extremely expensive jewelry in a vault. But back in the day, uh, it was still considered to be uh, an unknown. And the Gemara's question was, Do people put jewelry inside safe boxes? Yes or no? And the answer the Gemara gives is, We are not sure. 
Let's say a person says, um, I'm claiming a silver cup. You burned my house down. I had a silver Kiddush cup in there. So many families today have silver Kiddush cups. Well, many, most probably have silver Kiddush cups today. So the Gemara say, it says that, that the Posek responded, Amar Lay, it's not so simple. Ravashi said, you have to take a look. Chazina, we have to look at the following. If he's a well-to-do man, that's what Amid means. If he's a well-to-do man and he has enough money to afford a silver Kiddush cup, then fine, I could understand that. Or he's a trustworthy person, as is indicated by the fact that people invest in him and they use him to hold collateral. He's that trusted guy who watches the dog when you go out of town. Then in those cases, if you have what to go on that he might be telling the truth, then we do accept the shvua from him. If he isn't if he isn't wealthy or if he isn't trustworthy, in those two cases, then lav kol kemine. We don't listen to him at all, and he can make a shvua until he's blue in the face. He's not getting any money for it. The fact that he's promising is not relevant. Four lines from the bottom. What is the difference between someone who's considered a gazlan and someone who's considered a chamsan? The Gemara says, Amrle, Chamsan Yahibdme, a Chamsan pays for what he takes. Gazlan lo Yahibdme, but a Gazlan doesn't pay for what he takes. He steals. Amarle, he said back to Ravashi, Yahibdme, if the person gave over money, Chamsan Karyasle, if I pay for something and take that something in return, why are you calling me a Chamsan? That's called buying something. I shouldn't have the name of a thief of Chamsan. That's what Batimaleha Aretz Chamas. People were taking things in Parshas Noach. They were taking things. There was a lot of thievery. And the Pasuk uses the word Chamas. The Gemara says over here, Chamsan is a person who takes but still pays for it. Why would you still say that this person's a Chamsan? It's a regular purchase. After all, the Amar Ravuna, Tala. If you hang someone by their feet and then you try to make a sale, zvine zvine. That's considered an actual sale. Why are you calling him a chamsan? Says the Gemara. Lokasha, there's a difference. If a person makes a sale and the seller says, okay, you convinced me, I'm willing to sell it, no problem. But if I literally take something off of your shelf that you don't want to sell and leave the equivalent of cash on the table, that's a case of Hada Amar. Um, no, I don't want to do this transaction. That person's called a chamsan. Net, he didn't steal, but he's a jerk. So the Torah says, you're a chamsan. That's what chamas is. Chamas, by the times of Noach, based on this definition, wasn't theft. It was forced purchasing. And that's considered chamsan. That brings us to the... That's one of the ten. One of the ten what? That's a discussion by Losachmod. Yes, the, some of the Rishonim explained by Losachmod that the Isser of Losachmod is not the desire itself, but when you want something so much that you force someone to sell it. Yeah. But that may be, even if the guy says Rotani, that may be. I don't know if this distinction applies over there, but that's a great point. Could be one of the Ten Commandments, could not be. The Mishnah on the top of Samach Beis Amid Beis and the last Mishnah in the Parak of Hakones says as follows. If a spark comes off after a person is hammering and it causes damage, it burns a hole somewhere or lights a fire. The halacha is that I, the Baal HaPatish, the hammerer, I am the one who's going to be held accountable. This piece of Gemara that we're about to read right now, we've seen already a couple of times. 
was laden with uh, flax, and it's walking in a public domain. And the overflowing pishtan from its back kind of squeezed its way into a store. And there was a candle there, the Dalko Benero, and it caught on uh, on the fire of the Nero Shelchan Bani. And then uh, the animal is at, you know, 123 Main Street, and he catches fire. Then he walks down to 127 Main Street and burns the whole building down. So what's the din? The Gemara says, Bal Gomal Chayev. I had too much flax on my animal. It shouldn't have been done that way. And therefore, I'm held accountable. However, if the store owner had a uh, had a torch, a lamp, some type of uh, lamp outside that was lit with a fire, and then he catches on fire, the chenveni was irresponsible for putting the fire over there. And like we saw earlier in the Masech, that if the fire that the chenveni had outside was a near Hanukkah, then he's pater. And we spoke about this earlier in the Masechta because you're performing a mitzvah. And because you're performing a mitzvah, then I, the Baal HaGamal, have to be more careful. I think the Gemara said earlier that it was specifically because of the fact that you were doing the mitzvah. But there were two different uh, Gemaras, though. One was uh, a little earlier. I remember looking at this yeah. over here. Yeah. The Gemara says in the Brisa, Mipnei Shehu Rishus Mitzvah. Because you're allowed to do a mit, uh, you're allowed to do the mitzvah. And therefore, it's my obligation to be careful about your Hanukkah candles. The Gemara opens uh, six lines down on Samach Beis and Beis with a question. It seems from our Gemara, that we're not talking now inside or outside, we're talking about the height from the ground. It seems that according to Yehuda, it must be that the fire has to be close to 10 Tvachim from the ground, because that's where animals walk. If it was, if you were, uh, were allowed to put the Ner Hanukkah six feet off the ground, the animal would never catch on fire, because it would be much higher. Because if you want to say that it, the mitzvah of Hanukkah that is even to put the fire above ten tefachim, then Then there should be no reason to ever be potter because you're technically allowed. Because you're technically allowed to put the fire higher, so then put the fire higher. Otherwise, the balabas would never, the balchenbani would never have been potter for lighting the Hanukkah menorah outside of his building. He should have lit it uh, six feet off the ground on a pedestal so that no animals can get to it. Says the Gemara, um, that perhaps if it were to have been the case that the mitzvah of Ner can be done over ten tvachim, then we would have obligated the chenveni to put it over over the height of a camel to make sure that he doesn't um, create a fire. Elalav must therefore be shmamina mitzvah It must therefore be that there's a mitzvah to put it within ten. Now, of course, we know up to twenty amos is the maximum. And but the ideal seems to be ten tefachim. Amri, the Gemara says, "Lo, you cannot make this inference about mitzvah lahanicha besochasara. Lo, lameim lachafilu lamalamiasara. Really, it's permissible to light Hanukkah candles even above ten tefachim." My Amris, what does this mean? Sorry, if that were to be true, that he's allowed to put it above ten tefachim, then he should have put it out at a height that was above all of the camels, so as not to create a scenario of lighting a fire unnecessarily. 
Says the Gemara, similar to what we just looked up on Daf Lamed, came into the mitzvah of Ka'asik, because you're working on a mitzvah, you're trying to be involved in the mitzvah of Chanukah, Kulehai, Loatrachuha Rabbanon. The rabbis didn't obligate you to get on a step stool and to start lighting things six, seven feet off the ground. Yeah, it's mutter, but that's not the din. The din is that you're allowed to light by ten fachim. Whatever the height is. But that's what the Gemara is saying. The Gemara is saying that. The question was on the last, on the first of the long lines, which is, you should have put it above the height of the camel, whatever that is. So let's say your average camel is eight feet tall. So you, I have to go get a 10 foot ladder and build a pedestal. That's where I'm going to light Hanukkah candles. The Gemara says, the rabbis did not make the mitzvah of Hanukkah like that. Light like a mensch. And when the guy with the camel with the flax is walking by, he has to move over. Pack your animal correctly. Don't uh, walk around like that. You're, that's not smart. You're going to knock things over. The Gemara says to close out this parak, Amar of Kahana, Darash of Nasan Bar Minyumi Mishpeder of Tanchum, Ner Chanaka, Shehiricha Lamalami Esramama, Psula, Kisuka Uchemavui. Third time we've seen this in Shas, the 20 Amma threshold. The 20 amma threshold applies, as we know, by sukkah, and it applies by a ruvin, by mavui. And it applies over here, too, that um, you cannot light your candles 20 amos above the ground. This poses a big problem for people who have apartments that don't face equally high apartments. So let's say you have a, the Winston Towers on the west side of Winston Towers. You're overlooking the Chicago River. There are no buildings there. So if you're not allowed to light above 20 amos, what do you do? These are Shilas and Poskim. Um, we end up Paskin Lakula that you're allowed to light even on the table within your house. Uh, these are big discussions. When there are apartment buildings across from one another, which is more typical, let's say, like on the 2600 block of Lunt, where there's a lot of apartments and you're lighting 20 feet off the ground, 20 amos. Okay, but there are other apartments that are opposite you in the same in the same space, in the same strata. That's totally fine. But that's a good Shila when you're on that west side of, of Winston Towers, What's the halachic mechanism that allows you to light on the 16th floor? After all, it's way above 20 amos. What? No, on the west side. The west side faces the Chicago River. Oh, yeah. My bad. Forgiven. Hadron Allah Hakones. Baruch Hashem, we finished another parak in Shas. We should come back to this daf in seven and a half years. We're not going to start uh, start learning parak Maruba. Uh, this first Mishnah and this first Amun, we're going to be stopping about 10 lines from the bottom and then uh, we'll have a lot of work to do tomorrow. I did actually learn a little bit extra, but it's 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 stopping in such a funny spot. It's it, it's just more complicated. So we're going to stop a little earlier uh, than I would like to uh, just because it'll make the learning more clear tomorrow. The first Mishnah in Perak Maruba opens, Maruba Midas Tashlume Kefel. There are more applications of the punishment of Kefel, which is a double consequence. You're paying 2x, more so than mimidas tashlume arba vechamisha. The punishment of kefel has more applications than the punishment of arba vechamisha. Let's learn a pasuk here so that we can all be on the same page. If you look, if you have the pesukim on the side, the first pasuk in the Torah or reads as follows: Ki yignov ish shor ose. If a person steals a shor or a se, uh, that's a large animal or a small one, utvacho omecharo, and he shechs it or he sells it, one of the two. So then for the large animal, you pay 5x. 
If I steal your cow and then sell it, or if I steal your cow and then shecht it, and your cow is worth $1,000, I owe you $5,000 for the cow. If it's a smaller animal, if it's a se, then we do 4X and I owe you $4,000 for that animal. And if I only do theft and I don't steal or shecht, then I have to pay 2X. If the cow is 1,000, then I, the Ghanav, have to pay 2,000. And uh, that is how it would work. So why is it, or maybe not why, but what are some of the differences uh, between Tashlume Kefel and Arba Vechamisha? Because our Mishnah's first line indicated that when it comes to uh, Tashlume Kefel, that the applications of Kefel applies more often than Arba Vechamisha. So here's one example. The Mishnah opens with this example. Shemitas Tashlume Kefel, when we talk about the punishment of theft and the obligation to pay twice what you stole, so there, that's no heges bein bedaber sheyesh bo ruachaim. That applies to animals. It also applies uvein bedaber shein bo ruachaim. If you steal my laptop, whatever you steal, you have to pay two x. If we catch you red-handed, you're done. You have to pay. That's what the Gemara says. However, umidas tashlume arba vechamisha. When we talk about the consequence that the Chumash writes about of four x and five x as it relates to a set and a large animal ashore, respectively. So there, the Gemara says, that's Eina Nohegas Elabashor Beset Bilvat. There, that only applies with livestock. It only applies with shore and with set. Shene'emar, because that's a Pasuk in Chumash. That's the Pasuk that we just read a moment ago. Halfway down, four lines into the new parak. Ki yignov ishor that if you have a case of Geneva of a shore and of a set and you shecht it or sell it, so then you have to pay four and five because the Pasuk only says shore and set. So therefore, that's uh, on, the only applications of Arba B'chamisha. Thank you. And the Mishnah continues with another din, um, and that is um, an extension of this din. The Gemara says, the Mishnah says, Ein hagonev achar haganev meshalen tashlume kefil. So let's say that you're a thief and you steal something from your friend. And I'm a thief, but I like the theft to be a little easier. So I only steal from thieves. So I, what you brought in your yard, I'm looking at uh, the Weissman family and I see that there's a, a tag on the cow that says that it's a different family down the block. You're a kind of, and I'm like, perfect. He won't even be upset. It's not even his. I steal the cow out of Texas yard. I'm the Gonev Achar Haganev. Do I have to pay Kefel? The Mishnah says no. There is no kefel in a case of gonev min haganev. The second thief never has, has to pay. So let's say that you have uh, the feeder family is number one. He owns the cow. Tex steals the cow from them and I steal the cow from Tex. So you, Tex, would have to pay kefel for your theft. But I would not have to pay kefel for mine because I'm the gonev achar haganev. And that based, the, the amount, is it based on what the market is that day or at the time he stole it's the same thing. Those two things are the same. You mean, you said that day or the time he stole it? The day he's caught or the day? Uh, uh, oh, I, I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm sure we're going to discuss it. I just don't remember. The last time I learned Baba Kama, I was 18 years old and I don't remember any of it. I just remember there was a parrot called Maruba that I was scared of and I've always had a negative association. But other than that, I don't remember very much from the Masechta. I remember the first parrot because I learned a Be'iyun. But other than that, I don't remember the Masechta. We'll hopefully come to it. The last din in the Mishnah reads as follows. The Gemara says, That if somebody is, a, if a different person does the shechita and the selling after the thief, he would not have to pay the din of Tashlumei Dalad Behei. So says our Mishnah. 
Says the Gemara, well, that's very nice that you pointed out a difference between the halachos of Kefel that have more applications than the halachos of Dal Behei, but the Mishnah wasn't exhaustive because the Gemara says halfway down at the open of the Gemara, six lines into the new parak, Samach Bezim and Bez, Ilumidas Tashlume Kefel, we had said that the application of Kefel applies, no Heges, Bein Beganev, Bein Betoin Tainasganev. That's true if there's a thief. And it's also true if there's a shomer who says it was stolen and it turns out the shomer was lying. That's toin tainas ganav. Umidas tashlumi arba v'chamisha eina no heges ele beganav bilvad. But the case of arba v'chamisha only applies uh, in the case of regular gneva, but not in the case of toin tainas ganav. So loktani, we don't see that difference in our Mishnah. Why don't we see that in our Mishnah? So the Gemara says... That inference, the fact, that difference that we just pointed out is misayele the Rebichiyah bar Abba. This helps as an assist to the sheet of Rebichiyah bar Abba. Dama Rebichiyah bar Abba, Amar of Yochanan, ha-to'in tainas ganav b'pikadon. If a person is watching a pikadon and he's to'in tainas ganav, he claims that it was stolen by a thief. And in the end, really, he was the one who stole it. The halacha is, mishalem tashlume kefel. The din is that Hitaka does pay that way. Um, and this actually seems to be just like the shita of Reb Bar Abba. And Ika Amre, some say there's just a small little touch in this presentation of Reb Bar Abba, and we have about four lines to go. Lema misayele, not misayele, but perhaps, meaning it's a question. Would we say that this inference of our Gemara is like the sheet of Rabbi Chia Bar Abba? After all, that if a person, if a Shomer claims that it was stolen and turns out he was guilty, he pays Kefel. Says the Gemara, look, you've raised a great point as to why this wasn't listed in our Mishnah. But after all, our Mishnah wasn't an exhaustive Mishnah. Miktani ein bain. You might recall the Ein Bain Mishnayas from Maseches Megillah. Ein Bain Shabbos Biyonta Bel Malachas Ochan Davish Bilvat. Ein Bain this between that. There's a very exhaustive list. So says the Gemara, you thought our Mishnah was exhaustive. Our Mishnah is not exhaustive at all. Our Mishnah is just giving one example. It's not an Ein Bain Mishnah. It's just Meruba. I'm going to tell you one case where there's a difference between the world of Kefil and the world of Dalai Merubah Tani and Tana Vashir. There's plenty of cases that are left out of our Mishnah that, uh, that the Gemara doesn't ask my, my Tana Vashir. That, that's unique that the Gemara doesn't ask that. It usually does. Um, but uh, that's what the Gemara says, that yes, you're correct. There is another difference. Our Mishnah stated the difference that Kefel uh, applies um, whether or not the animal, is, whether or not it's an animal that's alive or an inanimate object. And the Gemara points out there's another example as well that's a difference between them, which is Tointain Eskanov, that only applies by Kefel and doesn't apply by Tavachum Mokar. Says the Gemara, you're right. You're right, 100% right. There's a lot of things that are left out from the Mishnah. We're going to stop right here, 10, 11, 12 lines from the bottom at the two dots. We'll pick up Emir Tashem tomorrow night with a blot and a half. Wishing you all a beautiful night.